Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Memoirs of Movie Stand-In Podcast. My name is Greg Anderson, and, uh, well, I've got a lot of experience working as a movie stand-in. So let's talk about how movies are made and have some fun with that. Now, in my chronology, my storytelling here, I've reached uh, the year 1997. And just to tell you a little bit about what was going on then, I had spent, oh, from July of 1996 up through the beginning of May of 1997, working on a show called Promised Land on the CBS television network. Promised Land was officially a spin-off from Touched by an Angel, and uh, I suppose unofficially a spin-off from The Waltons, or... <laughs> I came to find out that, in fact, um, a lot of our writers had already worked on The Waltons, and I didn't understand this at, at first. I, I was not a fan of the Waltons show, uh, necessarily. So I wasn't specifically interested in whatever happened in that show. I wasn't very familiar with what happened in that show. But there were others that worked on the Promised Land crew who were, were familiar enough with the Waltons to be able to see a lot of similarities in our in, in the writing uh, in general. So, uh, we, you know, that didn't bother me, but that was what happened during the first season of Promised Land. Uh, things ended up changing a little bit on the second season of Promised Land, but let's not get ahead of myself. You see, when we had our hiatus after the first season of Promised Land, um, well, you know, it had been a long season. We did 24 official episodes, plus uh, two or three crossover episodes, um, so it was, yeah, we had, we had done an awful lot of work and these are long days, uh, generally 12 hour days, uh, five days a week. We had spent uh, about a month and a half on location in the St. George area in Southern Utah and around there. And well, you know, it was just, <laughs> it was time for a break <laughs> and, uh, I used to say, you know, I, I had money in the bank because I didn't even have time to spend my money. So um, the idea of having a couple of months off, maybe two and a half months or so, uh, to just take time off and recuperate a little bit, that was fine with me. I, I didn't really care whether or not I worked during that time. But I did get a uh, phone call uh, with a job offer to work on a made-for-TV movie, which was filmed... Um, I think it either started at the end of May or maybe uh, near the beginning of June of 1997. This was uh, made for TV for the, uh, for the Fox Network uh, movie. And um, it was called Marabunta. <laughs> now, I guess uh, Marabunta is the name of uh, a species of... Uh, killer ants from South America. So, I don't know if this is the same kind of killer ants you might have seen more recently in the uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull movie. But that's the general idea. These, these ants that, you know, these just kind of monster uh, bugs <laughs> from South America that... Um, Almost like, you know, land piranhas or something. Because uh, one thing they portrayed here is that these these things could 
uh, attack a carcass, maybe of a dead animal, or even attack a living animal, a living person, and uh, just gobble them up, you know, strip the meat off the bones, and within moments, you had just, uh, you know, uh, just a skeleton <laughs> lying there. It had been completely stripped clean of all flesh. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the basic idea of uh, what they had going on in this uh, Marabunta movie, and I guess that's sort of what they tried to portray in the Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, these ants with large uh, pinchers uh, around their mouth or whatever, and, the, you know, you just got to watch out because, uh, you know, they'll get you. They'll get you, and, they'll, and you'll be, and your life is over. And, uh, well, anyway, so that, so the storyline of this Marabunta movie, and uh, if you ever watch the, the Sci-Fi channel uh, or even the USA channel over the years, they've, they've rebroadcast this thing a few times. And uh, when it first was broadcast... They had changed the name to um, Legion of Fire, Killer Ants. But when it was uh, rebroadcast just, I don't know, just a few years ago, I saw it on TV once again, um, they had changed the name back to just Marabunta. As we were making the movie, it was called Marabunta, and no one knew what that meant. So uh, so that was kind of nice because uh, one thing they, they do when you're making a movie... Uh, out on location, the locations department will go around and put little signs along the road to help uh, direct the the crew to where they're supposed to be. Now, generally speaking, the crew is going to have uh, maps and stuff, so they're, they're generally going to know where to go to show up to work, but uh, occasionally, uh, you know, they put these signs up anyway near the freeway exit that you need to take or or the road where you need to turn off that might be you know difficult to find so um they put up these signs and like with uh touched by an angel they, they it's just it's just kind of a little homemade sign that they can tack up and and take down you know the next day uh with an arrow on it and so when it was when we were working on touched by an angel they put the name um caroline up as a as a sign to direct you to where to go uh rather than putting up a sign that said touched by an angel because you know they didn't want the whole world to know hey look they're doing touched by an angel but if you saw a sign that said caroline then you might not think twice about it and that was the uh that was the idea of putting a name like that so but if you put the name marabunta on a sign with an arrow telling you where to go for marabunta then the general public has no idea what that means so we didn't have to worry about you know, security, because people are coming out and invading the set, you know. But on the other hand, uh, it wasn't a problem anyway, because we were pretty far out in the boonies for that one. Uh, the Marabunta movie, uh, well, the, the storyline went something like this. You're in Alaska. So here's Utah standing in for Alaska in the movie. And uh, there's been a, a shipwreck. And... Uh, you know, cargo from South America has shipwrecked somewhere uh, near near Alaska, near this one Alaskan town. And um, one of the items that uh, floated ashore from the shipwreck was just some wood. Um, and the wood had, had uh, bugs inside. Uh, specifically, an ant colony uh, was inside one of these big uh, pieces of wood. <laughs> 
So when that thing uh, drifted ashore, the ants got out and, um, you know, multiplied uh, a lot immediately. And suddenly you had uh, the whole place overrun with the same kind of uh, killer South American ants. And so, you know, they're getting some strange reports from around town that, you know, someone's cow was uh, left, you know, just a... a you know, completely, uh, you know, all the flesh eaten off of it, and the cow just sitting there, and no one knows, well, you know, what made this happen? Well, there happens to be some sort of uh, bug expert and a couple of colleagues nearby, and so, um, you know, they start looking into it and uh, start figuring out uh, what's going on. Meanwhile, the local sheriff is involved, and uh, he's sympathetic with the the bug experts that uh, realize that these are killer ants, but uh, the rest of the townspeople, not so sure, and so then it becomes uh, a race against time to get the word out and make people believe that there is a need to evacuate the town, and, you know, it's, the basic plot line is same kind of 1950s style uh, monster movie mixed in with a little bit of the uh, 1970s style disaster movie. And I think the people that were making the show, the writers and the directors specifically, uh, just had in mind that we're making a cheesy monster movie in in the same spirit as the 1950s cheesy monster movies. The only problem there is that, um, well, it's a fine line. You know, you can make a campy, cheesy, uh, dopey monster movie, uh, or you can just make a bad movie. <laughs> And I think in the end, it was kind of just a bad movie. Um, you know, it was, it was a dopey storyline, and, and it's, it's just kind of never worked. So, um, you know, when we were making the movie, uh, summer of 1997, uh, we thought that maybe it would be broadcast um, around Halloween, uh, just a few months later. But as it turned out, um, they didn't broadcast it uh, around Halloween. They waited until the following summer, uh, middle of the summer of 1998, when, generally speaking, there wouldn't be a lot of people watching anyway. And so I think they sort of, you know, cut their losses and just buried this movie in the schedule somewhere where nobody would notice. So that was a little disappointing. But on the other hand, once I saw the movie, I realized it wasn't quite as... Uh, cheerfully cheesy as as you wanted it to be. It was just kind of a dopey movie. So, all right. Uh, we filmed primarily in and around Heber City, Utah. Uh, and then also uh, we used the town of Morgan, Utah. So those aren't super close to one another. It probably took about 45 minutes or so to get between the two towns. So there were some days when we would just film all day in Morgan and other days just uh, around Heber City. And, uh, but it, it was nice, you know, because it wasn't quite as crowded and uh, you know, traffic wasn't an issue to, to get around and get to work on time in the morning. So that was nice. A um, couple of memories stand out. Now, I was there primarily to stand in for an actor named Mitch Pileggi. And if you're a fan of the X-Files... Uh, he played the part of Skinner. So he was sort of the boss of uh, Mulder and Scully on the X-Files. This guy who's, you know, 
you know, about six one, six two, um, in height and uh, really good shape. You know, he's he's he works out. He's uh, he's bald and. Uh, well, except for the part about being in such good shape, I was actually a very, very good match for Mitch. Uh, same height. Um, I have a little more hair on top of my head than he does, but, uh, you know, in the bright lights, you can't really tell. I look like I'm as bald as Mitch. And, um, you know, same basic shape of our uh, our faces and, and heads and stuff. So um, it's funny, one, one of the days uh, I was there, I was not just standing in for Mitch, but I was also going to be a photo double. So, for example, this means if uh, there's a car driving by and uh, you just see someone driving in the car and and you can't, from a certain, you know, wide camera angle, you can't really tell the details close enough to, to, to see exactly who's driving the car. So if they get someone who looks sort of like the actor... They can get away with just having a, a photo double drive the car by, uh, you know that that sort of thing that happens. So um, I was, yeah, I was dressed up in the same uh, same style of wardrobe that uh, Mitch was going to be dressed up. This the sheriff's uh, uniform. So they had an extra sheriff's uniform that they they dressed me up in this sheriff's uniform and had me ready to go out and do some, you know, just driving the driving the vehicle past the camera sort of thing. And um, so we were at lunch. I was wearing uh, the, the costume, and uh, someone came up behind me. And they're like, uh, Mitch, we got a message from the office. And, and I turn around, <laughs> and they're like, oh, you're not Mitch. So from the back, uh, he was completely convinced that I was Mitch, and he was about to give me, you know, some confidential message for Mitch only. And, you know, I turned around and, oh, well, you're not Mitch, but no, all right. So that was fun. Um, this movie, there was a lot of there were a lot of action sequences, and uh, what we were able to to do was it's kind of fun to to be there and watch it. Uh, for example, there was one um, sequence with some stunt driving <laughs> in a school uh, parking lot that's that's suddenly full of these ants somewhat like if you saw indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull where there were a bunch of ants just kind of out on the plane and they were trying to get away you know uh from from the ants and so it was the same kind of thing just in the school parking lot just ants all over the place and and they're and they're approaching and they're approaching fast and and there are a couple of people at the edge of the parking lot and we have to get out there and and rescue them before the ants get to them and so there was some stunt driving going on there so it was it was interesting to watch the stunt drivers doing some real precision stuff like uh um just you know he's he's pulling in and he does a little spin as he as he brakes you know as so as as the vehicle stops it sort of does a 180 and slides into place and lands in exactly the right spot um if you've ever seen the blues brothers movie there's a there's a thing there where they go to a fancy restaurant and just before they arrive uh the car has coming down the road and does a 180 and slides to a to a stop right in a in a parking slot this is the kind of stuff we were watching and i was impressed to see that Without even any kind of rehearsal, the stunt driver was able to just exactly hit the spot where uh, where the truck needed to be. So, you know, stuff like that. You're like, wow, it really works. There are precision drivers that can just do that. Wow. And so um, then the next thing, let's see, 
I got to ride in a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, there was a little subplot there about uh, uh, you know these ants are all over the town and they're and they're destroying the town and, and what are we going to do? And so they finally decide that the only way to stop them is to uh, blow up the reservoir, or well, actually blow up the dam, and then release all the water from the res- reservoir, and have it just stream down and flood the whole town out, and that's going to kill the ants, and this is the only way to stop this particular uh, infestation. And so they got a helicopter, and uh, it's just one of these little, you ever see Magnum P.I., that, that style of helicopter, which is sort of that, that big bubble front sort of thing. Uh, it was that style of helicopter, and um, and they had it, uh, like these guys are planting explosives on the dam so that it'll blow up, and then they rush up to the top of the dam just before it explodes, and they catch a ride on the helicopter and fly away. So, very exciting action sequence. So, as part of my duties as a photo double, I took a ride in this helicopter for some of the wide-angle shots of it just flying around. So they did this uh, first thing in the morning. To, they, they were able to kind of give the actors a break uh, and use the photo doubles uh, uh, in the helicopter while, while the actors were still getting ready in the morning. So they didn't have to be there quite as early in the morning. So, okay, that's why they use photo doubles. Um, but... Uh, the thing is, uh, it, it, for this particular sequence, it was a simple shot, uh, kind of a wide shot. They had a camera up on a hill, and they had the helicopter just sort of fly past it. And they had this, uh, you know, this long moment where they could sort of pan with the helicopter and see it uh, going past. And so uh, they put me in the helicopter and two other people to work as photo doubles and then a pilot. So there were four of us in this little four-seater helicopter. And uh, this was just first thing in the morning. So we just had breakfast, and then I got all excited. Hey, go up to the top of the hill and, uh, and get in the helicopter and go fly around for, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, whatever, until they get the shot. So that's great. So um, what what generally happened was they, uh, they, they placed the helicopter, they had it hovering over uh, in one area, and then, you know, they had radios and stuff and give the helicopter pilot a cue. And then he would fly, you know, in a certain pathway and go past the camera. And, uh, and you know, then once he reached the end of the little place where the camera could see him, right? <laughs> the end of the sequence, whatever. Then, um... You know, turn around and go back to the starting position and, you know, try it again if they needed to get a, a retake, you know, and this sort of thing went on. Um, but the thing was, when he, when he, it was time to reset and go back to the starting position, this particular helicopter pilot, he just, uh, it was like stunt flying. He, he just sort of, uh, did just kind of swooped down and went over there as fast as he could in a banked turn and just a really you know we're pulling a couple of g's or i don't know how uh much <laughs> many g's we were pulling there but it was it was definitely more of a stunt maneuver than just uh going from point b back to point a so um 
I'm sitting in the back seat with another photo double stand-in, and uh, and we're both just about turning green at this point when when he pulls this little stunt move, and uh, we kind of look at each other like, oh, "You doing okay? Oh, I don't know, I'm <laughs> not so good." Um, so uh, we did this a couple more times, and finally, the guy next to me, he just he could not. He could not stand it any longer. I mean, we just had breakfast. And all of a sudden, we're doing some maneuvers there, you know. He's getting all lightheaded and queasy. And so uh, he actually did finally tap the helicopter pilot on the shoulder and and, and said, yeah, I, I can't handle this anymore. So uh, the helicopter pilot landed and let him out. Because as it turned out, where he was sitting uh, was on the opposite side of where the camera was. So you really couldn't tell he was in there anyway. So we did a couple more passes without uh, the guy that was sitting next to me. And I was feeling just about as queasy, I think, as he was. But uh, I, I just, I didn't want to kind of wimp out, you know. So, so I stayed in the helicopter, did a couple more passes. And again, every time we reset to go back to point A, uh, it was this stunt maneuver, this banked turn and, oh. Did I mention we had just had breakfast? Yeah, okay. Well, so anyway, it worked out okay. I survived, but I think I was, you know, kind of lightheaded for the next couple of hours <laughs> that morning. So, yeah, there's your fun memories of uh, riding in a helicopter. Um, another thing that we did, there was one sequence in the movie where uh, there's an old farmer, an old-timer, and he doesn't want to evacuate the town. And the the sheriff comes by and tries to warn him that you, you got to get out of here and evacuate. And, uh, you know, he doesn't want to do it. Instead, he's sort of rigging some uh, fire bombs all around his property. And that's how he's going to battle these ants, the old timer. You know, he's going to he's just going to put a bunch of fireballs around. And and at one point, the, the sheriff, you know, just can't talk any sense into this old timer. And uh, the ants are coming and the ants are starting to attack the old timer. And they're, of course, going to have his... Uh, flesh completely eaten away in just a few moments so the sheriff gets in his uh, blazer it was it was a chevy blazer was the vehicle that he had and he you know hightails it out of there but as he's leaving the farmer's property um well there are these giant holes in the ground that i i don't know if there's the ants supposedly dug these big holes so they could you know set up their little ant uh colonies in there and 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 the uh and the old timer had been pouring gasoline and stuff down into these holes. So uh, what they needed to portray, what we needed to film, was that the sheriff has a little bit of an obstacle course trying to get off the uh, farmer's property without falling into these holes. And as he's leaving, the holes are starting to ignite. So just, just as he gets past one of the holes... Uh, you know, there's a giant fireball comes out of the hole. And this happened, you know, there were three or four holes with giant fireballs coming out of them. So uh, in order to film this stunt, we actually did have, uh, you know, some gasoline or something they could ignite that would make these giant fireballs. And, uh, uh, you know, not something you see every day. And I don't know if you have any experience around fires, you know, if you've ever been near a, a big bonfire or maybe a forest fire or there's been a house fire or just something, you'd be amazed at how how much heat is generated in a large fire and how you can be several yards, you can be quite a distance away from the fire 
and you can still feel the heat, powerful heat. And so that's the experience I had as I'm watching them film, and these fireballs are going up as the blazers kind of uh, driving around the, these holes. And um, the, the I was I was a, a fair distance away. I was definitely within a safe area, and, and that was another thing. You know, they tried to be real careful about safety and stuff. So. Uh, I was I was a safe distance away from the fireballs, but I could definitely feel the heat, and that was that was intense and 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 interesting actually that it was such an intense heat. Um, but it, you know, just makes you think twice about being around fire and and just how dangerous that can be. So uh, you know, some of the lessons I learned from working on Marabunta. Um, yeah, there were some other people in in the. Uh, in the show as far as the actors go that uh, you might recognize maybe from commercials or soap operas i'm not sure um but generally speaking uh mitch Pileggi was probably the biggest star in the show and um all my friends it seemed were big fans of the x-files and i wasn't partially because i was too busy to watch a lot of tv um so when they said, well, here's this guy from the X-Files is going to be in this movie you're making. And I'm like, well, okay, that's nice. But that didn't mean that much to me. But uh, Mitch was an incredibly nice guy. Just really, really sweet. And so, um, so of course, I became a fan of Mitch. And then I started watching the X-Files after that. And so then this was the summer of 1997. So um, right after we finished this Marabunta movie, that's about when Mitch took off to go film the X-Files movie, the, you know, the first one they made that came out in the summer of 1998. So, uh, yeah, he was off to do the X-Files movie and then uh, another season of the X-Files, and, uh, and so that's how that went down. So I, I became a fan of the X-Files from, from that time forward, and I started watching uh, the X-Files, and I saw the movie, and then I kind of, you know, stayed loyal through the end of that series. Well, not the all the way to the end. I, I don't think I was as interested during the last season of the X-Files, but if you know anything about the X-Files, you know why I might have lost interest during its final season. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, well, you know, the, the director of this Marabunta movie was a guy named Jim Charleston, and he was, uh, he had directed uh, well, at least one episode of the X-Files before this. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, I'm thinking, oh, the X-Files, ah, that's a well-respected show. In, in, a, in a certain sense, uh, even though Touched by an Angel was more popular than the X-Files as far as ratings and stuff go, um, I knew that Touched by an Angel was not a really well-respected show among TV critics and, and stuff like that. So, uh, so I thought, well, here's a guy that has directed the X-Files, so he must be a well-respected uh, director, having done that show. And uh, I don't know, he was, a, he was a little scatterbrained sometimes, I guess. I thought, well, you know, he's not that much different from anyone we, we've worked with before. He's not, he's not as special. I mean, not, not to put the guy down, but I was expecting, you know, just some top-notch, you know, impeccably professional director. And he was just, he was just a regular guy directing Marabunta. Uh, but I kept watching for his name on the uh, X-Files episodes after that. And I'm not sure how many, you know, I, I somehow I got the idea that maybe he directed the X-Files a lot. But uh, as I got looking around, I said, well, maybe not. 
Uh, years later, many years later, he directed uh, an episode of uh, Touched by an Angel, <laughs> this Jim Charleston. So I don't know if that's a step up or a step down or just, you know, some guys, they just they just want to work. Um, anyway, so that was the summer of 1997, my, my summer job that I had. Uh, again, mainly in and around Heber City, Morgan. And then uh, east of Park City, there's a town called Camas. And then there's some areas uh, to the east of Camas that are just some really nice uh, wooded areas. We we got very close to the same place where we had um, where we had filmed the little girl lost episode of uh, Promised Land. So that was kind of nice when when they were giving me directions on how to get out to that location. I'm like, oh, I know how to get out there. That's where we went for Promised Land. So. Um, yeah, just a really a lot of really nice, pretty scenery. Um, they they got some good shots, some some good photography out of all that. It was supposed to look like Alaska, and I'm not sure how much it really did look like Alaska. But this was uh, you know somewhere around June, uh, and so things are still really green uh, in that area at that time. As the summer goes by, you know it gets pretty dry in Utah. So if they had filmed a month later, or maybe you know at the end of the summer, it would have been. Uh, a lot more dry looking and uh but as, as it stands the way we did it I'm, I'm very lush and green and you know could have looked like alaska for all i know with a, the mountains in the background and you know lots of lots of really neat scenery so nice to have a, a summer job where you get to be out and about and uh, enjoy the uh enjoy the great outdoors and the fresh air <laughs> And that's kind of what we did. All right. Well, that's enough for now. Um, um, yeah. Next up, I'll talk about uh, getting back into Promised Land. Yes, we did have a second season of Promised Land. So I'll tell you about that next time on the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. Now, if you have any uh, questions or comments, I do have an email address. And you go ahead and send me a nice, friendly, encouraging note. Uh, and... Uh, that email address is moviestandin at gmail.com. And then uh, if you're looking for the official show notes of the memoirs of a movie stand-in podcast, you might just want to go to uh, utahstandin at blogspot.com. Or you can look for it on uh, iTunes. Just go to the iTunes uh, store online and just do a search for uh, memoirs of a movie stand-in. And that'll pull up my podcast. And you, you can subscribe for free. And then every time there's a new podcast out, uh, just downloads automatically to your computer. Or, you know, try it in your favorite podcasting software. Do you have any, have any questions on how to find the, uh, the feed for this podcast? Uh, then why don't you send me an email? Moviestandin at gmail.com. All right, well, uh, we'll see you next time. And I hope you have, um, you know, a, a nice, pleasant week or so until we get to the next episode of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast.